Martial Arts World Radio is the official radio show and podcast of The Factory Martial Arts Boxing and Fitness at 450 Matheson Boulevard East, Unit 44, Mississauga, Ontario. Check us out at www.factorygrindgym.com. Welcome to Martial Arts World Radio. I'm your host, Joseph Clark. Thanks for tuning in. Our show features candid interviews with martial arts stars about how they endeavor towards their goals, overcome unfortunate human events and life challenges, and how they better themselves and pursue personal excellence through martial arts. Now, I'm going to bounce a few names off of you who you might have heard of. Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, George Shavalo, Roberto Duran, Lennox Lewis, and Sugar Ray Leonard. One of our guests this evening is Canadian network broadcaster Mark Hepsher, who has interviewed all of the aforementioned fighters. The next guest interview is with UFC lightweight mixed martial artist Jason Sago from my 2015 live broadcast interview. And our final interview will be with kickboxing pioneer, champion, and legend, special guest, Benny the Jet Urquidas. For those of you listening to us while on your phones, tablets, or laptops, be sure to check out www.worldblackbelt.com, the world's foremost martial arts online community, which was established by Bob Wall and Chuck Norris. Be sure to check out our show website at www.mawradio.com. You can also catch us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter at Martial Arts World Radio. I have two books to bring to your attention this week. Google the book The Tao, that's T-A-O, Tao of MMA, or go to Amazon and do a search for The Tao of MMA. Another book that I highly recommend you check out is entitled The Way of the Fight by George St. Pierre, a very entertaining and inspirational book about how GSP overcame bullying as a child and turn that experience into an opportunity to pursue personal excellence. This week's inspirational quote is from Miyamato Musashi and goes as follows. You can only fight the way you practice. Miyamato Musashi, A Book of Five Rings, circa 1645. I had the privilege of interviewing UFC lightweight fighter Jason Sago in 2015. Here is that interview. Jason is a professional mixed martial artist who has a contract with the UFC, the world's largest fight promotion company. Jason has been featured in the media as a fighter with a will of steel who pursues personal excellence at the same time that he practices humility. Jason travels the globe seeking out top places to train and master his skills. He believes that martial arts attracts people who possess a strong will, a desire to improve, and a humbleness that comes only after years of training and defeat. We will be speaking to Jason tonight about how he has persevered through life's hurdles and become a better person through his journey towards personal excellence and his professional athletic goals. Jason, thank you for joining us and welcome to the show this evening. Thanks for having me, Joseph. I really appreciate it. Well, we appreciate it as well. It's a pleasure. And specifically, where are we speaking to you tonight? I'm uh, currently right now in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island. Uh, a beautiful part of the country. <laughs> and Jason, what are your current priorities and activities right now? Um, you know, I just got finished up my first training session of the day, and now I'm just going to go uh, grab some healthy food at the grocery store and then have about three four hours rest and recuperate, and then I'm going to head back into uh, training for tonight. Uh, I'm getting to do uh, my rounds in preparation for my fight on October 4th in Halifax. So your full-time job is training to fight. Yeah, exactly. My full-time job now that I've been in the uh, UFC, it's been really 100% focused on martial arts and training and just uh, getting ready for this fight, really. I mean, October 4th is the date, so we're coming up to the three weeks three weeks away. So I've just been 100% focused on that and making sure I'm in the, the best shape of my entire life. 
And what is the date exactly again of that fight? It's uh, October 4th. That'd be Saturday, October 4th, and it's in uh, Halifax at the Metro Center. In Halifax, okay. And what martial arts styles are you trained in? Um, I formerly trained in uh, Muay Thai. I did my, a lot of my Muay Thai training in Thailand, as well as uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I trained under my head coach's name is Paul Abel. Uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and mixed martial arts under him. And uh, wrestling, uh, I trained a little bit while I was in university, as well as uh, over here on the island, uh, Matt McGrath uh, helped me a lot with my wrestling, as well as uh, Chris Prickett, who's a, a national wrestler for, for Canada. Excellent. So multiple styles, and sounds like you have some good trainers. Yeah, really good trainers. I wouldn't be anywhere close to where I am without my trainers. So, I mean, I really do owe it all to them. And you are, I believe, fighting in the lightweight weight class, correct? That's correct, yeah. Lightweight division is 155 pounds or 70 kilos. And when you're not at your fighting weight, what would your, your day-to-day weight be? I guess like my current uh, walk-around weight right now is around 172, 173. Um, about a week out from weigh-in is about 168, 169. Okay. And when you cut weight, then it sounds like you cut a significant amount of weight for weigh-in. So when you actually step into the octagon, what weight do you estimate you'll probably really like the actual weight? I usually you'll be jump back at? up to 170. So I gain about 15 pounds in 24 hours. And how do you gain that 15 pounds? Is that just strictly water, Gatorade? How are you doing that? Um, it's really important the way you rehydrate your body. So usually like to have uh, a lot of coconut water got a lot of natural electrolytes in there um and just be small be careful with your your meals you know so you don't want to have a ton of food right after you finish weighing in because you get really sick to your stomach so after losing you know 15 pounds in 24 hours you want to make sure that you slowly you know put food back in your system so very just small 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 tiny meals you know fruits and vegetables nothing nothing heavy or else you, you become nauseous and what is your fight record at this point? Ten wins and uh, one loss. Very interesting. So ten wins and one loss. And where were you fighting mm-hmm. prior to uh, the UFC professionally? Local shows. Um, I've fought really, I mean, I fought in Ireland for one of my, my first, my pro debut was actually in Ireland. And then I fought in Canada, Montreal. I've been to uh, Edmonton. Um, I did the first ever official card in Ontario um, at Casino Rama. So just all over from uh, coast to coast. How many fights would you have done as a amateur before you did your first professional fight? I did three fights as an amateur. I did one in Detroit, and my other two were in Thailand. Were in Thailand. That must have been very exciting. Yeah, because you don't know what you're getting into in Thailand. <laughs> Let's just say there's not as many uh, regulations as there is in Canada. <laughs> oh, is that right? Do they? F- yeah, you know, there's less rules. Um, you don't really know what fight you're getting into till you're actually in the, the, you know, the ring or the cage. So I mean, it's uh, Thailand's a very unique place, and it's just kind of a uh, little, it's a little less safe than Canada. When you were fighting in Thailand, were you fighting Muay Thai or were you fighting MMA? I actually fought both. I fought pro Muay Thai while I was in Thailand. I did two, two uh, pro Muay Thai fights while in Thailand, and I did uh, two amateur MMA fights while in Thailand, and I did a jiu-jitsu competition as well in uh, Singapore. So, Jason, what was more difficult for you, fighting Muay Thai or fighting MMA against, uh, in Thailand against a Thai opponent? Um... When I fought MMA, it was like internationally. So like there, I think I fought. Well, actually, I did. I ended up fighting a guy from Canada who we ended up becoming really good friends. He's actually originally from Brampton, Ontario, not too far away from my home. But we ended up uh, fighting in Thailand, became good good friends. His name's Mike Hutchison. And the other guy I fought was actually from Sweden uh, for the MMA fights. And uh, the Muay Thai fights, I fought a guy from Japan. And then the first one was a, uh, a guy from Thailand. So it was a really good uh, experience being able to fight, uh, I guess, on an international level because everyone's from different backgrounds, you know, different coaches, different styles. So I think going over to Thailand to compete was a really good life experience.
Is it tougher to compete at the amateur level or at the professional level? 100% professional level because as soon as you have money involved, uh, people start taking it a lot more seriously. So at the amateur level, you know, people can do it for fun and, you know, it's not too serious. Maybe they're not training twice a day and they're a little bit more, more lax and they're not as, uh, I guess, well-rounded. But at professional level, everybody is really good. They're really good at wrestling. They're really good at jiu-jitsu. They're really good at striking. So if you're going to take it uh, to a professional level, it's also more dangerous. You know, you're dealing with smaller gloves. Uh, less less rules like an amateur you're not you know sometimes when the fight hits the ground you're not even allowed any striking but in professional professional fights you're allowed striking as much as you want when the fight hits the ground so amateur is more safe and there's not as much money involved and people I think sometimes just tend to train for a little bit and then they do it for fun but professional you're going up you're, you're taking the next level for sure so for uh, our audiences that are in front of their laptops or their tablets or phones today uh, if you Google Jason Sago, or, or even Google Jason Sago UFC, you'll see there's some good hits that come up. I know there's a CBC article that came up. Uh, I think there were a couple of other really good media stories about you and some video about you getting your UFC contract. Is there some, cool. Are there some other areas in the web where you would like to direct our listeners to go? Um, just uh, definitely just my, my website, www.jasonsago.com, as well as uh, follow me at, at Twitter, at Jason Sago, and uh, Instagram, Jason Sago. So you can follow kind of all those social uh, media links and even on uh, Facebook, Facebook fan page. So we kind of just rotate and I put different uh, content on every one of those pages. So if you're following like the Facebook page, you're going to get a lot more about my, my training, you know, and if you're really into mixed martial arts, you probably want to follow that to show some drills, some techniques, but if you're into like, you know, more lifestyle stuff, just what I do outside the cage, like paddle boarding, you know, hanging out on the beach and just going on a little bit of uh, mini excursions and the travel adventures and stuff, that could be more like Instagram and uh, some, some Facebook, some uh, personal page. Jason, what a great guest you are because you just segued into another fantastic line of questioning. What do you do when you're not training and fighting? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm really laid back. You know, I just like to uh, enjoy life, spend a lot of time with my girlfriend. We're pretty active. I love going paddleboarding, especially in Prince Edward Island. It's such a beautiful place to live, and there's so many just small little uh, lakes, you know, and just going out to the ocean and having that sense of freedom. So lots of great trails we go hiking on, um, even a little bit of mountain biking, uh, just lots of exploring here, too. There's, we've lived here for over a year and a half, and there's, we're still discovering, you know, those little special gems on the island. So it's been awesome. Sounds like a terrific place and a terrific way to spend your time. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> and, Jason, in terms of your... Uh, your strengths uh, what would you recognize as a professional fighter are some of your strengths the areas that you dominate um i would say definitely like my discipline like being able to go through the grind of every day the dedication to be able to just show up to training after you you know you've gotten your butt kicked you know for the last you know six to eight weeks during your training camp and being sore beat up bruised cut open and showing up the next day with a smile on your face and ready to do it all again I think uh, that's one of my strongest uh, attributes is just, you know, being dedicated and putting the time in. So you're tough. Yeah, I guess you could say that, yeah. You're tough. Good for you. Yeah, because I would think uh, it's one thing to have ambition. It's another mm -hmm. to have sincere determination where you're able to get up early in the morning, be able to take that right. abuse, to... Uh, you know, ignore the cravings and hunger pangs when you have to diet and mm -hmm. eat, eat food that might mm -hmm. not be terribly exciting. So you must live yep. a very disciplined and rigorous lifestyle. Exactly, and I think that's a requirement, right? If you're always trying to make weight, you can't just go out and eat what other people are, are eating. You can't just enjoy, you know, having this, this slice of cake whenever you want. You really have to have a strong willpower and uh, no one to say no. And if your friends are going out late, like, oh, sorry, I can't join you. I'm staying in so I can get, you know, a full day of training in tomorrow. I don't want to be, you know, tired the next day because training's priority to me. I want to feel my best and I want to know that I did everything possible when I step into uh, the ring, when I step into the octagon on October 4th. I want to know that I did everything possible in the camp to be at my physical peak. Speaking of friends, how critical is it to you or how particular are you rather about the people you surround yourself with? 
I think it's extremely important who you, uh, your inner circle, who you surround yourself with. I think they, they affect you in a lot of different ways. So generally speaking, my, my friends are health conscious. You know, they're, they tend to eat very, very similar foods. You know, we're, we're, we're kind of just, you know, healthy individuals, you know, with the almond milk and uh, just eating like lots of lean meat, you know, nothing, nothing fatty. Like I haven't had, you know, fast food in over like two years or whatnot, like even longer than that. I can't even remember the last time I had fast food. So just having friends who kind of like live a similar lifestyle to you, like my, a lot of my friends are just active. They love the outdoors. So instead of just hanging out, on the couch and all day and watching like you know eight episodes of uh, orange is the new black in a row or something we uh we go outside we get outside we stay active and uh we just move, tend to move around a lot jason has your social life changed greatly since you become a professional fighter and of course gained your ufc contract um no because i still spend that time with uh, my girlfriend the only thing that really changes you just get recognized a little bit more you know just being uh walking around town and be like some you know you see people kind of giving you the second look and then they're like you look familiar or some people are like hey jay you know good luck training on your next fight so it's kind of mixed really depends where i'm hanging out if i'm hanging out at just like the general gym where people are working out and you get more people knowing about what i do and where i'm training but if I'm in the grocery store they just think that guy looks familiar maybe they saw him on like the the compass here on cbc on the island or stuff like that and are the hometown folks pretty supportive? Oh, very supportive. Very supportive. Everyone on the island has been 100% behind me, and they're you know with me all the way. And uh, I can feel that, and it, uh, it makes me motivated to train extra hard for this fight. Now, Jason, a moment ago I asked you about what you felt your greatest strength was. Uh, perhaps we could flip that around and do a little bit of soul searching in terms of uh, I don't like to use the term weakness, but let's replace that with opportunity mm-hmm. to improve or develop. What do you recognize right. as a professional fighter as that opportunity for you to improve and develop? Mm, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, areas that I'm, I'm trying to grow on. It's like every day I'm, I'm trying to get better at jujitsu, Muay Thai, wrestling. It's constant and never ending improvement like I'm always trying to be a better version of myself than I was the day before and that involves me going in and training and putting the time in at the academy working with my coaches researching when I get home looking at videos on the internet seeing what the guys at the highest level guys who are champions in the UFC seeing what they're doing with their life with their training routine and trying to duplicate that so I'm just basically trying to see people that have already had success and are currently successful and trying to duplicate their efforts and would you say that the majority of your training is uh, actual conditioning, or is there a, is there a certain amount of it that's strategic? Oh, for sure. <laughs> uh, my style is more like technician, so you never see me just like kind of throw recklessly. You could see I'm trying to pick somebody apart, right? I'm trying to analyze their game. I'm trying to see where their openings are. I'm never just rushing in and throwing punches, you know, like a wild person. I'm very calculated calm and calculated and just very persistent and a kind of a gradual pressure style so uh, i definitely feel more of my strength is kind of breaking the opponent down and seeing what their game is and then you know analyzing and then attacking from there um not just rushing in there drawing the technique and hoping for the best i definitely uh more of a, a thinking kind of fighter than uh, just super uh, aggressive throwing out throwing punches out there and seeing what happens Jason, since you've gotten your UFC contract and you're in the media a bit more and people are talking about you uh, probably at home and uh, both your homes, you know, where you came from originally and now where you're training, mm-hmm. uh, are you experiencing a fair amount of celebrityism? Are there uh, advances from people? Are there is there a lot of recognition? Um, no, like, min- you know, like a minimal amount, like definitely more so than any other point in my life, I guess. You know, there's, it's nothing like too extreme or it's just like uh, hey hello how are you i saw you in the newspaper kind of thing so it's nothing like too too over the top right now maybe eventually if i just keep winning the fights and climb the ladder i could see it getting a little bit more and more but uh it definitely you know it's not, it's not going to my head or anything like that good for you and for the benefit of myself and our listeners you must have a lot of temptations in your line of work i mean one of them obviously is the diet i would think would be something that can be very tempting at times to break off of uh there might be other temptations as well how do you deal with 
cravings and temptations? Um, well, it definitely helps that my uh, my partner, my girlfriend Rachel, like uh, again leading a similar lifestyle. She enjoys eating healthy, and I enjoy eating healthy. So it's easy when you're making meals for your partner, or vice versa. She's making meals for you, and you know it's going to be healthy because that's what they want to eat. That's what you want to eat. So there's it helps to I guess eliminate the temptation. So I know when she goes grocery shopping, she's not going down I guess the candy aisle and buying like Hershey's Kisses and stuff like that. She's going and buying broccoli, you know, spaghetti squash, uh, spinach, you know, and just healthy food overall. So the temptation is not there when I get home because the cupboard's not filled with sweets. That's and that's a good support to have. Oh yeah, 100%. You need to have somebody that supports what you do and they support your lifestyle. So it helps when I think with temptation when if it's not in front of you, well at least with me, if it's not directly in front of you, then I'm not even going to be thinking about it. I'll be focused on the fight, but if you come home and there's like uh, you know, I love uh, carrot cake. If I see a big carrot cake, I'll be like, "Ah, oh, I really want to eat that carrot cake." So she knows to just make sure make sure that there's healthy food in the house, and she's making uh, healthy food, and vice versa. I also make healthy meals as well. Sounds like a good plan. And not yeah, to put you yeah, on the, not to put you on the spot with my next question. So if if you want, we can come back to it. But uh, in terms of uh, you know the lar- the problems that you experience in your line of work. Uh, as a career fighter, what would you identify as possibly the largest problem that that career presents for you? Oh, one of the ones that concerns me is concussions. I mean, that's a big problem. Like, you know, I, I want to be able, once my career is over, to be able to remember the small things that my wife does or if my kid does something. You know, I want to remember those moments. And uh, I think concussions are not something that's uh, really talked about. So, uh, concussions are a big concern of mine and making sure that I'm training smart, that I'm not taking too much trauma to my head and that when we're sparring, we got the headgear on, we got thick headgear on, we got the big gloves and we're not, you know, just thrown to the fences. So that's why I'm happy to be from a technical school that is aware of that and that we are training smart and we're not just, you know, throwing to try to hurt our partner. We're actually concerned about our partner's health and we make sure that we're, we're training smart all the time. You are listening to my 2015 interview with USC fighter Jason Sago. This is Martial Arts World Radio, and I'm your host, Joseph Clark. Last year, I had a discussion with martial arts cinema star Bolo Jung. Bolo is most easily recognized as Jean-Claude Van Damme's opponent in the movie Bloodsport, and as the big and muscular bodybuilder in Enter the Dragon with Bruce Lee. He was a professional champion bodybuilder and starred in numerous martial art films around the world. Bolo began various kung fu styles at age of 10. Today he's recognized as one of martial arts international stars. He also was a close friend to Bruce Lee. His feedback to me was as follows. After 1973, there was a change in martial arts. It seemed to change, it seems to change every 15 years there is a straight line and a bisecting cross line to martial arts. The straight line being efficient, practical, application. The cross line being performance martial arts, choreography. The movies have had a huge change since the 70s. When an object raises to the top, it will eventually go to the bottom and rise back up again. It is the same concept with martial art movies. What comes around goes around. Bolo said, in the old days, they did 18 takes in a film, no editing, one shot, nonstop. Now with digital technology, the fight scene is synchronized, more in editing, less choreography. Action directors are not usually martial artists. They are chasing schedules and piecing scenes together. Very interesting perspectives from an accomplished kung fu practitioner and international star, Bolo Young. Hi, I'm Bob Wall, a World Full Contact Karate Champion, and I'm the co-star of Into the Dragon. You're listening to Martial Arts World Radio with Joseph Clark. Hey, this is Lindsay Garbett, former WIBA World Boxing Champ turned MMA fighter. You're listening to Martial Arts Radio with the one and only Joseph Clark. Mark Hepsher is a Canadian broadcaster with a diverse career experience, which includes network television, sports specialty channels, radio, print, and online streaming. Throughout his career, he has interviewed legendary professional athletes, including 
world-class champion boxers. Mark, welcome to our show. Joseph, nice speaking with you, as always. As always, likewise. You have got an incredibly impressive list here of champion fighters that you interviewed through your career. Let's begin with Muhammad Ali. Please share that experience with us. Yeah, actually, I'll tell you what. I never met, the first time I met Muhammad Ali, I was disappointed. I was disappointed because I was there on a press kind of junket thing. And, um, you know, we all had a chance to ask him questions. It was before his fight with Larry Holmes. He really wasn't in the mood. But I had spoken to him on a few occasions prior to that because, like I had mentioned, I was the producer of Bob McCowan's radio show. And Bob would have Muhammad Ali on the show occasionally. And I had his number. And I would call him at his home in Michigan. This is, of course, when he wasn't training for a fight. Sure. And, you know, we'd make arrangements, and he'd come on the show, and he would talk to Bob. This is 1977. So, hey, Muhammad, hey, Mark, hey, like that. And it's, it's funny because I, I sort of just thought of it. Like I had forgotten some of the people I had spoken to on the phone and never really met. And so I didn't meet Ali till a few years later, and it wasn't – you know, it wasn't one of those, hey, remember me from the radio in Toronto back in, the, you know, 77? How, so, when you um, met him in person, cool. how really, far in his career me? was he at that point? Well, 77, he was, uh, he, had just, he had just lost to Spinks. And then, no, that was 78. So it was before he fought Spinks. So he was the champ. He was the champ in 77, I guess it was. Yeah, he, who did he beat? Ken Norton? I'm trying to think here now. Foreman he beat in 75. Anyway, that's good. You've got me now. But in that... 77 78 time period he was the champ lost it and then won it back from Spinks. that's when we knew him like i say when he was in heavy training he would never speak to us but you know he'd come on and shoot the breeze for 10 or 15 minutes cool guy and remember there weren't a lot of radio phone-in shows back in those days in sports ones so it's not like people are dying to get to muhammad ali and talk to him on the phone he was more than willing to talk to anybody and just because he didn't have a fight and there were no newspaper men around to get quotes from him didn't mean he didn't like talking so tell us about your interview with Joe Frazier. Well, Frazier and I got sat, we got hooked up together for the Sugar Ray Leonard-Roberto Duran fight in Montreal. This was in June of 1980 at the Montreal's Olympic Stadium. And it rained that night, and they had a big cover over top of the ring, but every, like half the people got soaked. <laughs> and anyway, so Frazier was in town, uh, and he was doing, he and I were doing the fight on um, radio. We were doing a radio, the radio version of the fight, so we're ringside. So it was great, you know. Hey, Mark Hepsher was smoking Joe Frazier ringside at Montreal's Olympic Stadium. Um, and we had also done the preliminary fights, and one of which, the preliminary fights, was a guy named Gaetan Hart, who fought a young kid named Cleveland Denny. And he punched him, and he, and he punched him so hard, he hit him so hard uh, several times, that Denny was unconscious before he even hit the canvas. Uh, and everyone at ringside, Joe was the worst or the loudest, yelling, stop the fight, stop the fight, because this guy Hart was just pummeling him. And uh, he later died, Cleveland Denny later died, I think the next day. Uh, in, uh, he never regained consciousness, 22 years old. And there Sad. was a big Avoidable. investigation as to, you know, whether the ref should have stopped the fight and, uh, you know, the athletic commission, the boxing commission was called, and it was a whole big deal. But that was, that was prior, uh, that was two or three fights in, in the undercard prior to Leonard Duran. So a lot of it was sort of forgotten in the thrill of the Leonard Duran fight, which, um, you know, which Duran won, which was spectacular. So Frazier, I'm doing the play-by, the blow-by-blow, and Frazier's doing the color. And <laughs> it was great. <laughs> he was fabulous. What an opportunity. Oh, yeah, and he was Quite so nice. He was such a nice guy. And I told him, I said I'd seen his, I'd actually seen him in his band play, Joe Frazier in the Knockouts. And we went and saw Joe Frazier's uh, band. It was like a quartet, and they played. Uh, he was a, like a singer. He was great. So he liked that. He was really nice. I really, really enjoyed my uh, that evening with him. And I never, I never saw him after that. Sounds like a class act. Now, which yeah, Duran did you interview? Uh, so Roberto Duran, Duran was at the time he was already the lightweight champion, and I believe yeah, and he was going for the welterweight title. Uh, and Leonard. So it was Duran, Hearns, Leonard, Wilfredo Benitez at the time. It was a fabulous welterweight. Was the best. Tommy Hearns was the best class. Hagler came later, and he was a middleweight. But anyway, so Duran fought Leonard in Montreal. Duran spoke no English at all, or he didn't want to speak English. And he had a gun in a holster. So when you went to interview him in his hotel room, he was a guy sitting in an undershirt with a gun 
you know, it's in the holster, but still, you know, you think at any time, if he doesn't like the question you ask him or whatever, he's going to pull the gun on it's, you. It's strapped to him. The gun's strapped to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's strapped <laughs> That's to him. a little intimidating. It's in a holster. And he's just, you know, he's like bored, I guess. It's, you know, the fight's not for another day or so, and they've already had the weigh-in, and, you know, it's media, and he's, he's got an interpreter there, and he was kind of bored by, by the whole thing. <laughs> he, was, uh, he was all business, let's put it that way, and it showed during the fight, too. He was relentless in that fight. All he business. never stopped coming at Leonard. It was fabulous. Sugar Ray Leonard. So, you interviewed and Sugar Leonard Ray was Leonard. Just, Leonard was everything you thought he was and more. He was great. He was gracious. He was funny. He, was, he remembered your name. He really engaged. He looked you in the eye. You know, he was, uh, how could you not like him? He was a very likable guy. Charismatic and larger than life. Yeah, yeah. He was everything you, you know, the Olympics in 76, the world got to know Sugar Ray Leonard. I mean, he was, he was beautiful. You know, what a handsome fella, you know, doing commercials and all that. So he was, a, and in 1980, he was just a star, superstar. Mark, you shared with me that you had interviewed Lennox Lewis. Is that correct? Absolutely. Okay. Tell us, where was that? Well, before I ever interviewed him, I knew him. I knew him socially. Uh, we had a mutual friend, and we had, uh, we had played pool many times together, billiards many times together. So I knew who he was. Uh, I knew him when he was a champion, before he was a champion in the 90s. And uh, he was sort of, I won't say he was a guy from the neighborhood, per se, but he was a guy that I knew, a circle of friends, and we knew of each other, and that's so sort of a mutual respect thing. So when I, the actual first time I interviewed him was a short clip, but recently, I guess this past March, we had him and George Chevallo on our podcast, and he was great, just a great storyteller. He's got all his marbles, right? He's very quick. He's clever. Um, you know, I don't know how many times he got hit in the head. I mean, he's a big guy. You know, I mean, he got knocked out a few times, but he seems to not have any ill effects, let's put it that way. Uh, and very engaging guy. Um, and, yeah, answers your questions directly. Just a, just a good guy. What a great conversation. Mark, George Shavalo, is he everything that people think he is? Because he just comes across to me as a real class act, a real gentleman, and yet there's a vulnerability to the guy. Tell me about George Shavalo. George Chevallo is, uh, I would say, without a doubt, and this is no lie, the, the guy who got the worst breaks in life yet um, does, is doing more for people now to help them so that they don't go through what he and his family went through. He lost three sons to drug overdoses. His wife committed suicide. Tragic. He, I mean, you're, yeah, tra terrible tragedy. And yet what happened was he, you know, his... <clears throat> His remaining son and daughter, he cherished his life with them, and he could have easily gone down, you know, down a hole, down a deep hole. Uh, and, you know, he chose to, you know, um, speak to young people about the, the evils of drugs and alcohol and use his own life experiences. Uh, really a motivator, a mentor, just, you know, an all-around good guy and um, could have, you know, could have easily been taken advantage of by many, many people um, along the way, and may have well been. And just, you know, to me, like, takes the high road. He could be bitter. Instead, he's thankful. Um, just a really wonderful guy. And, I mean, I, you know, I saw him fight. I mean, I was a kid. But, I mean, my, my grandfather and father says George Chevallo was never knocked off his feet. Okay? Do you know what that means? Never knocked off his feet. Fought Ali twice. Never knocked off his feet. Fought Frazier. Never knocked off his feet. How about that? So, you know, that's sort of, that's, a, that's kind of the, uh, you know, before the Tragically Hip ever came along, George Avala was, you know, a Canadian. He was Canadian. He fought all over the country. He was a Canadian heavyweight champion for many, many years, you know, uh, and he, you know, he had a reputation as being like a, a down-to-the-roots, Canadian-born, proud, tough, never-say-die, never-knocked-off-his-feet, lost three children and his wife killed themselves. Look at him go. How about that? Did Shavalo ever talk to you about his fight with Ali? Oh, yeah, many times. He fought him twice. And what, oh, was, yeah. so he, what were some of his remarks go, about his fights? He could go through the entire fight, and, he, and I've seen him do it. I've been at banquets with George where, you know, he'll say, well, in the first round, and he remembers all of it. Right? I'm kidding. All of it. He could replay the entire fight for you. 
and he's done it, you know, you know, virtually the whole fight. First round, this is what happened. Second round, then he hits me here, got Amazing. me with a combo, blah, 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 you know. And, but what he said about Ali was he said he was so lightning quick that when he hit you, it was like getting hit with the end of a bull whip. It snapped. Yeah. Right? You would yeah. hear it snap. So he felt his eye, like above his eye. He explained that he felt the snapping of it. Okay, it wasn't a, it was, it was a, like a sting, but it was a, like like a, whip. a cracking sound. Yeah. And he just, he said, I remember that. He says, and I'm feeling my, you know, my, my eye is starting to swell up. <laughs> right? And so anyway, yeah, um, definitely. I mean, the guy, he fought him twice. Fought him in, in 66 at Maple Leaf Gardens, and they just had the 50th anniversary of that fight. Um, they had a big celebration in, um, in Toronto. Um, Ali was not there for that, of course. He uh, was quite ill at that time. Uh, and uh, he fought again in 72 in Vancouver. But I think by then, uh, in 72, George was, was well, like well past his prime. I mean, he was still the Canadian champion. But, and Ali had just come back, and he had lost to Frazier. And then I think, he, I think this was in between those two fights. I think that was part of his comeback to take the title away from Frazier after Frazier had beaten him at Madison Square Garden. Well, I can, geez, you know, when I was a kid and I, all these fights, I, I loved it. And I was a huge fan. I used to watch the Friday night fights with my grandfather. I mean, I really liked Cassius Clay. Like, who is this guy? Wow. Yeah. Well, why does he say those things? Wow. And, you know, I was just learning about the war and his stand on the war. And, and I thought, man, this guy's really something. You Exciting know? man, yes. He's really something. Exciting, man. Mark, we must bring this conversation to a close, but it has been a great one. Thank you for speaking with us about these opportunities which you had to interview these world champion boxers. Joseph, thanks for, uh, thanks for asking me on. Yeah, it's, it was nice, nice that you, you, know, you pulled a, uh, you hit a trigger. Now suddenly I'm a, like a huge boxing fan all over again. I've got to go back <laughs> over my, my notes, all the people I've spoken to. And thanks, for, um, thanks for bringing it up. It was oh. fun. Real pleasure, as always, and we hope to have you on again. Thanks so much, Mark. Take care, Joseph. You too. Take care. All the best. That was an interview with Mark Hepscher, Canadian broadcaster, on some of his interviews with champion boxers. Fantastic, exciting stuff. Mark, thanks once again. Benny the Jet Urquidez had an incredible martial arts career transitioning from non-contact karate to full-contact karate and kickboxing with a 27-year career in which he remained largely undefeated. He also held six world titles in five weight divisions. He has also appeared in several films as an actor opposite Jackie Chan, Samuel Hung, Patrick Swayze, James Woods, and John Cusack, to name but a few. Benny, thank you for joining us today. Uh, my pleasure. Do you still train and teach? You know, it's almost like you asked me, am I still breathing? <laughs> you know, it's uh, just something that I do, you know, to this day. Uh, I'm up at 5 in the morning, my wife and I, and we're off and running and doing our thing. So nothing has changed. You know, it's, uh, a lot of people would ask uh, what has changed, but there from now, I said nothing. And Benny, you had a controversial fight against a Muay Thai boxer. Would you share that story with us? My brother and actually Howard Hansen started the WKA, the World Karate Association, or, or World Karate League, and... So they asked me, so they were calling me a world champion. I said, well, how can I be a world champion? I haven't been outside the United States fighting like this. And so they said, you want to fight outside? I said, sure. And so, you know, two months later, they come back and said, okay, you want to fight Muay Thai? Honest to God, truth, I thought that was his name. You know, you know I said, I'll fight Muay Thai. You know, I had no idea what that meant. Nobody heard of Muay Thai at the time. And so they brought two champions from uh, Thailand. I think... Uh, Ernest had fought the first uh, Muay Thai. I mean, he fought the first fight. Which he was the semi-event. I was the main event. I fought. I, Ernest Hart fought, and, and I think in the third round or the fourth round, uh, he got stopped. Then I came up. I, you know, now this is at the Olympic Auditorium, and the dressing room is underneath the stadium, and you can hear right. the rumbling on top. And so... I'm hearing Thailand, Thailand, USA, USA, you know, and I come out, the air is so thick. And I see him in the ring, and he's, he's doing his prayer. I'd never seen that before. So, you know, I was kind of, 
you know, I, I've never heard that kind of music or saw that before, and I was kind of moving around like if I was uh, dancing to his music, and all the Thai people must have thought I was making fun of them. And so... <laughs> so the air is getting really thick. No, really, I had no idea. I've never seen that before. So sure. uh, he came, and next year, you know, he simulates uh, shooting an arrow at me, and I put thumbs up, and he, the bell rang. He came out, and I've had trolley horses before, but I've never been thigh kicked like that before with my eyes bulged out. I said, whoa, I've never, I've never had anybody intentionally trying to break my legs. And the fight went all the way up until the ninth round. And, uh, you know, the, the, the first round, I went back to my brother, and I said, what do I do? And he says, Kick him back. And I said, oh, yeah. I went back and I kicked him, and he he leg-checked me. Oh, that even hurt worse. Man, that hurt it so bad. I said, that was, I said, okay, I'm not going to kick him again like that. This was a new experience for you, Benny. Oh, yeah. I've never felt that before. I've never felt uh, anybody uh, leg-check me before. And then he started clinching me and elbowing me and so forth, and all the Americans thought he was cheating because they'd never seen that before. Sure. And so... I didn't know what to do. My brother didn't know what to tell me what to do. So I'm a good judo man. So I ended up picking him up and throwing him on his head. And every time he clinched me to knee me, I threw him on, you know, I threw him. And all the Thai people think I'm cheating because they've never seen that before. And so next year, you know it, all the Americans, all the Thais are getting really uh, heated up and so forth. And the ninth round, a fight started up in, uh, in the audience. And oh it went like it went like a wave <laughs> all the way around the audience, and they stopped the fight, saying, "You know, no contest, no contest," because um, they were afraid that uh, they were going to fight. I said, "It's too late," and so I stopped. I jumped in the ropes. I, because my mother and my sisters were there, and I watched my brothers escorted them out. And but it was uh, the first time ever introduced to Muay Thai uh, fighting. So after that. I looked at it, and I said, okay. That's when I started designing shin guards and so forth because, uh, you know, I, I really never thought that. But after watching him leg check me and so forth, then I started developing leg checking and so forth. And next year I know it, I'm, I have uh, they're, they're giving me an invitation to Japan. And anybody that challenged me uh, in their country, I went to their country fighting under the rules, under their fans, under their judges, and and that's just how it all started. I started building the sport of kickboxing around the world. Now, Benny, if we can change lanes for just a moment. Sure. I understand, because you've done a lot of film work as a result of martial arts. I believe you worked with Patrick Swayze on the film Roadhouse. Is that correct? Absolutely. I matter of fact, I doubled him on some of the things, but I was the stunt coordinator on it, and... Uh, and so we, uh, it was a lot of fun. It would, to tell you the truth, um, I really didn't think it was work. It was, I thought we had such a good time, such a good time and so forth. And teaching Patrick, you know, and him coming from a dancing background. And when I started teaching him technique, he started getting very frustrated because he was, he was, getting angry at himself because he says, I'm a dancer. I should know how to do all this, these, these different moves. And I was showing him something different of rhythm. And for the first couple of days, I saw him be real frustrated. And I went home, and I started putting some technique, and I started putting music together, and I started doing these techniques with music. And, and I went back the next day, and I told him, I said, I'm going to try something different. And I said... You know, I want you to follow this rhythm. And I turned on some music, and once I did that, I was in his element. I was in his backyard. He he lit up, and we had a blast every since. And every workout was with music. (laughs) So it it was a lot of fun with Patrick, and uh, truly incredible, incredible warrior and actor. I really had a, a good time, and we became good friends. Sounds like you really connected with him. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, it's uh, with most actors, usually the first week, they always give me a hard time the first week. And after that, once I earn their trust, you know, then they allow me to push them right to the edge. And, and they trust themselves that they can handle anything that I push in front of them. 
So there's a collaboration of, of trust going back and forth. Now, Benny, you and I are in preliminary discussions about possibly collaborating on a book that speaks to your personal philosophy on internal right. martial arts. We're talking about an internal book and who I really am and in my background and in my, my walk on this earth. Basically, it's the fight. I heard somebody say it's a, a, a third space once upon a time. To me, truly a third space, you know, is we're talking about places that we go. And I talk about the square jungle, which is the ring, is a metaphor of your home, your work, okay, and the place you train, or people around you. And so in that, you know, uh, all these emotions that's been programmed, you know, sometimes when people get angry for petty stuff, they're still drawing from past tensions, from stuff that they've been wounded way back then. And yes, they, you know, if that was, they did do that. But that's not who they are. That's just what they've done. Just like me. People think they know me by what I've done. But I said, that's not who I am. Internal martial arts. Would you say that internal martial arts is you know, getting to know arts, oneself? And internal means to me things that move us and things that stop us. And usually it's a program that we've been taught from our first teachers, which is usually our parents, whoever raised us, you know, they teach us their emotions for protection. And sometimes it's anger, sometimes it's fear, sometimes it's frustration, sometimes it's anxieties. But they're teaching this for us so they can protect us. But what happens is we start to forget our brilliance. And that's basically what happens is the internal is to be able to, to forget what you know and remember what you forgot. And what you know is a program, and what you've forgotten is your brilliance of coming in this world and why you exist, why you're here. I think this book will answer a lot of these questions that our people are looking for and are really looking for solutions of, okay, if you tell me how to do it, it's one way, but if you show me how to do it, it's another, because everybody receives information differently. Are you incorporating this philosophy into your training with your students today? Uh, this type of training is a way of life. From the time, the I am concept of what they say, when they open up their eyes, when they get up, because it really makes a big difference of what they, you know, the I am concept of what they say to themselves. And if they think, you know, oh, how they're going to make it through the day, then exactly, they're struggling through the day. But if they're getting up and being thankful that they had this day to do the things they love doing and be with people they love being with, then there's a chemical in that system that if they practice it, it's, there's an excitement for this whole day being in the moment. And so I teach my students exactly that. I teach them meditation. I teach them the concentration meditation into a power meditation, into the action meditation. It is because sometimes that's what we need. We need to have focus on what we want, and our soul can manifest it. Now, I must ask you about your other book for a moment, The Jet, right? I'm looking at a website, which is www.bennythejet.com. And briefly, right. what is the book The Jet about? You know, it's about how I became the jet. You know, it's about how I was raised. You know, I come from a family. My father, you know, professional boxer. My mother, professional wrestler. Nine black belts in my family. Four champions in my family. I come from a fighting family. So when kids at three years old, you know, had fire trucks, I had boxing gloves. So we entertain each other by, you know, um, boxing, fighting with each other, you know. And, and uh, so for, for actually five decades, I, I've been doing warfare. So my mother... Being a Native American, and my father being Spaniard, uh, my mother was very internal, very spiritual. And my mother would always talk to me about spirituality, the understanding why people do the things they do. And my father was very external. He was very physical. And he would show me to be strong, to not show emotions, to hit harder, to move faster, 
to have more endurance. And so he was so external. But my mother was so internal that they both gave me a balance. I'm so glad they they were able to teach me, and I was you know, and they actually forced me. I mean, I caught myself sometimes crying because I didn't want to, you know, I I didn't want nobody to know that they were actually, uh, you know, giving me medicures and pediatures and telling me this and that. And uh, I I I really felt I really felt very embarrassed, but I grew up extra fast. So by the time I was 14, I was doing boxing in the uh, 58. In 60, I started judo. In 63, I started kempo karate. Back in the 60s, the mark of a warrior it was, I mean, we, we fought bare knuckles, you know. And there was no such thing as safety chops, safety kicks. Not, it, you know, that didn't come into the 70s, but we, the, the mark of a warrior was tape around their knuckles, tape around the two toes. You knew that that warrior came here for business and, and throwing each other on concrete and wood. And, you know, it, that's just the way we fought back then. And, you know, we were bleeding all over the place, but yet we were bound. And there was the prosciutto respect. There was a court of honor between warriors back in the 60s. Even though we fought bare knuckles and, and slamming each other and so forth, you know, we'd be bleeding, but yet we would still respect one another. And even... If my opponent lost, he would bow, he would smile, and give me thumbs up, and in his eyes he would say, until I see you next time. And, there and was, so there was that code of honor between warriors. There was that code of honor between warriors. Benny, we must close off because we're down to our last 60 seconds of the show. However, it has been a true privilege, and we look forward to speaking with you often so that we can expound even more and elaborate on what you have to share with us. And I thank you so much for joining us. It really was a privilege. Uh, my pleasure, John. You. you know what? Uh, again, I look forward again to uh, come on and, and share information, share uh, knowledge and experience with everybody. Well, as do we, and we appreciate your sharing of it. Have a great night. You too. Be sure to tune in next week for more candid discussions and perspectives with stars of the Octagon, Full Contact Karate, Kickboxing, and Martial Arts Cinema. You've been listening to Martial Arts World Radio, I'm Joseph Clark. Martial Arts World Radio is the official radio show and podcast of The Factory, Martial Arts Boxing and Fitness at 450 Matheson Boulevard East, Unit 44, Mississauga, Ontario. Check us out at www.factorygrindgym.com.